Okay, if you have Bibles with you today, please open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Just finished up a series of messages on our church's ethos and values. It was an eight-part message. Um, I really enjoyed speaking on it, just the things that are most passionate to my heart. Um, But we finished that up last week. Uh, And this morning we're going to begin a new series of messages on uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians. Um, I want to have a time of prayer and ministry after the sermon. And an effective way for us to do that has been, uh, when I finish my message, just to leave some space to see if uh, there's anything the Lord would put on our hearts. That he'd give words of knowledge or prophetic words to kind of give some indication on the direction he'd want us to go in a ministry time. Now, we've done this many times, and many of you guys are very well uh, able to, to hear God. So my encouragement to you is, uh, is uh, to multitask this morning as you listen to me share my message. Listen to God. See if God puts something on your heart. And uh, at the end of my message, I'll leave space for people to share uh, those insights and those... Um, those bits of revelation. Okay, let's begin uh, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to do the first five five verses today. Uh, You could read along um, as I read these verses. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, use me today to share your word to your people in a way that's life-giving to them. Lord, I pray that their hearts be good soil well-tilled soil, ready to receive your word. And Lord, may your word take deep root in them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So in these first five verses, Paul is giving his introduction, his salutation uh, to the, to the um, Galatians. And um, I'll get back to that in a few minutes. But let me begin with my own introduction uh, to the book. So Paul's epistle to the, uh, to the Galatians, why? Why Galatians? Why, uh, why am I going to do a new series based on that book? Well, when considering where to go next concerning our Sunday messages, honestly, I'm just following as the Holy Spirit leads. I, I, I considered a few things. <laughs> I actually considered doing Acts of the Apostles, but it took us two years to get through John. I'm thinking, how long would it take us? You know, with 60 chapters, how long would it take us to get through, what, the 28 chapters of Acts of the Apostles? Like, Lord, is that me? Because I'm thinking that would be just so much fun to do. And, uh, and that's when he popped Galatians in my mind. I'm thinking it's the mercy of God uh, toward you guys. <laughs> but when he told me Galatians, it, it blessed me. It pleased my heart because it really is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Paul's message to the Galatians, it just resonates uh, with my heart. It resonates with my personal calling. I, I do believe, inspired by Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, that, that God has, has called me 
to do three things. And the first is to tell people good news. I think all too often in the church, people don't hear the good news, they hear bad news. And, and the, the gospel is to be good news for people. And I feel like God's called me specifically to share with people good news about the Father's love. Because I don't know that there's, there's many Christians who are as convinced of just how great and lavishly the Father loves us as he does. And so that's a personal passion of mine. Um, I feel like God has called me, again inspired by Luke 4, 18 and 19, to set captives free. And I feel a personal passion to set people free from religious rules and regulations. To set people free from religion. And that's really the heart of the message in Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians. And the third thing I feel called to do is to open blind eyes. For me, it's, it's spiritual eyes to help people see in the realm of the spirit. That they might have a, a more intimate relationship with God and better understand and know what God's doing in their lives and, and around them. And so I'm excited about Galatians because it just sounds a clarion call for freedom. That people would be free. Free from specifically, specifically free from religion. From religious rules, regulations, and the traditions of men. And freedom to live by the Spirit. That's the really the twofold message. And why else think Galatians, it's just filled with brilliant nuggets of truth in the scripture. I mean, some outstanding verses, favorites of mine, I'm sure some of yours as well, are found in this, in this short little book. Right? I, it, this might be the most quoted verse I've used in my tenure here at Charlottetown Vineyard. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves... Be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I could preach on that for a year. I have no doubt I could. Galatians 2.20. As a young Christian, this is one of the first verses I memorized. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, man, that's rich. Powerful truth. Robin Liberating Mark. truth. Huh? Robin Mark made that into a song. Did he make it to a song? I'm not, I'm not surprised. And then Galatians, back in Galatians chapter 5, the second half of verse 6, it actually says this. This is in the Word of God. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The Scripture actually says it just like that. The only thing that counts. I mean, if Paul's going to preface a statement with those words, the only thing that counts, we've got to pay attention to what happens by the end of the word counts and the period. <laughs> the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We, we need both those. We need to trust God in faith, and we need to live love. So... I mean, this, those are just a few nuggets. There's so much more, and we'll get to all of them. Now, Galatians is a profoundly significant book. It is said that the books of Galatians and Romans are the clearest expressions of the new covenant that God's made with us. Of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The message is just driven home. Laid out plainly for all to understand. 
Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It was the book of Galatians that stirred the fires of the Protestant Re Reformation in the 1500s. Of it, Martin Luther said, the little book of Galatians is my letter. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. Ooh, I think he's a big fan. John Wesley is known to have said that he found lasting peace from a sermon on Galatians. Commentator Christian Vaughn wrote of Galatians, few books have more profoundly influenced the minds of men, have so significantly shaped the course of human history, or continue to speak with such relevance to the deep, deepest needs of modern life. I agree. And New Testament scholar Leon Morris wrote, Galatians is a passionate letter. The outpouring of the soul of a preacher on fire for his Lord and, deep, and deeply committed to bringing his hearers to an understanding of what saving faith is. Great quotes from brilliant minds. High praise indeed. The theme of this book unquestionably is justifi justification by faith alone. It's not by works. It's not by religious rules. It's not by human effort or tradition. It's by faith alone in Christ. This letter to the Galatians is rich in sound biblical doctrine. It was written before the book of Romans. And is no doubt it laid the groundwork. It was the inspiration. It was the, it was the first draft, if you would, of what would become the, you know, just the amazing work of Paul's letter to Romans. I've heard it said, if we could have just one book of the Bible, Romans would be the book to have. And I haven't been written before it, and the, the commonalities between the two books, it's clear that this letter to the Galatians were in part what inspired his letter to Rome. I've heard some refer to Galatians as a mini or condensed Romans. And in it, the doctrine of justification by grace through faith, apart from Judaism's emphasis on works and righteousness earned from obedience, specifically obedience to Mosaic law, and the traditions of the elders, it's clearly laid out. The, the message is clear. There's grace on one side, and there's law on the other. And that makes it significantly important. I think it's imp as important today as it was the day it was written. You would think 2,000 years later we'd have, we'd have uh, figured this out. We'd, we'd separated the, the gold from the dross, but we haven't. The church really hasn't. Um, just a brief overview. St. Paul is clearly the author. We see it from the first word of the first verse in the first chapter. It was written, there were two schools of thought about when the book was written. Some believe that it was written between 48 and 50 AD, and if so, that would make it the earliest surviving letter uh, written by St. Paul. Others believe it was written a little bit later, years 54 to 55 AD, which would place it much closer to the writings of his letter to Rome. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to pick one over the other. 
It's a few years separated. They're written by Paul, <laughs> inspired by God for sure. Somewhere between 48 and 55 AD. <clears throat> What's the context of the letter? Paul had planted the churches in Galatia on his first uh, missionary journey. Uh, and his message was well received where he went. You can read all about it if you want in Acts chapter 13 and 14. But a problem arose after Paul had moved on. He would go, he'd plant the church, he'd stay there for a while, leave some elders in charge, and he would go on to the next place. And after he left, problems arose. Paul's writing this letter because some Jewish Christians would follow behind him. On his travels, Paul would leave and they'd go, they'd go into the city right after Paul. And they would tell the people that um, Paul was in error, that he was preaching an incomplete gospel. That Paul was giving the message of grace, and they would come and say, yes, that's true. However, you have to also abide by uh, Jewish laws and customs. And so, so Paul's going around doing this good stuff, and, and what Paul called Judaizers, Judaizers would follow behind him, and they were, as it were, sowing weeds among the wheat. They were telling people that they, if they wanted to truly be a Christian, then you've got to follow the Jewish laws as well. And they were, there was an especial emphasis uh, on the laws associated with circumcision. Adding law to grace. That's what they were doing. They were adding the law to the gospel of grace. And I find it astonishing that 2,000 years later, this same spirit is at work in the church. It's got to stop. It's just got to stop. Let me, um, I was going to add this quote. Um, I found it this morning. Facebook has this feature where, where you get, it says on this day, and you can click on it, and for however many years you've been on Facebook, it'll bring up a list of things that you had posted in years past on that date. And so a few years ago, I posted this quote, and it came up this morning. I thought, well, isn't that timely? Uh, concerning the message I'm going to share. And this is by the author Leonard Sweet in his book, The Well-Played Life. And this is what he wrote. He said, Despite reformers such as Luther, Wesley, Huss, and others who emphasize justification by faith alone, we still would rather think of ways of keeping ourselves in line rather than keeping ourselves in love. How can we make the continental shift from finding our assurance not as attainment, but as atonement. How can we find the assurance that comes not from extreme productivity, as one recent book title has it, but, but I love this, but from trusting in the veracity of faith and the ferocity of God's love. But from trusting in the veracity of faith, and the ferocity of God's love. There, there are some authors out there, 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 there are some preachers out there who get a lot of flack because they actually believe what's referred to as the grace message. And for those who don't, I want to ask them, what book are you reading? What gospel are you reading? You want to go back and be a, a, a first century church, a New Testament church? Have you read this book? 
Have you read, have you read the Gospels? Have you seen the way Jesus related to people? Did you, have you heard Paul's story? Have you read his letter to the Galatians? One of the reasons why I would like to do a study on Romans, excuse me, on, on Acts Sunday, is because I think there's things that we can learn from what the apostles did well, but from also from the ways that they just totally messed things up. They really did. I kind of appreciate the fact that Scripture is that plain and that obvious to not only show us the right way to do things, but it shows us the weaknesses and the failings of those who've gone before us. So Jesus comes preaching a message of freedom and of love and of grace. And right, from the, right after he has, has ascended to heaven, they begin to build structures and organizations and systems to do what he did as a relationship. They did it right away. There's something about humanity that's hardwired to rules and regulations. We love them. Whether we know it or not, we love them. Our society is driven by them. And the new covenant does not operate that way at all. It operates relationally on the basis of love. So, and more than any of his letters, passionately, Paul communicates this truth in his letter to the Galatians. And back then there were people who didn't like it, and to this very day there are people who don't like that message. This is far and away Paul's most passionate letter, and it's just one more reason for me to enjoy it. It's a, it's a ringing declaration that salvation is an absolutely free gift. And it just, it's a hard-hitting rejection of any hint that it must or can somehow be earned by good works. Paul's passion for Christ and the gospel are clearly evident in his anger and his surprise at the Galatians for accepting these false teachers and their message when they came behind him to sow their wicked seeds. And we're going to take a we're going to take a closer look at that anger and that passion when we look at verses six and following next week. Now you can get a preview for yourself if you like as we go through the series. Maybe maybe you'd like to to go into Galatians for yourself. You could probably read all five chapters in I don't know under an hour, even if you read it somewhat meditatively, but maybe you want to park there for a while and see what the Spirit puts on your heart. Now, in Paul's letter to the Romans, the argument for justification by faith is carefully developed and it's calmly logical. Galatians, on the other hand, it's emotionally charged. The message of the gospel has been challenged and Paul's response to that challenge is passionate. It's fiery passionate. It's one that he felt deeply, very deeply. So, with that as my introduction, let's take a look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul opens up his letter with his credentials, Paul, an apostle. This emphasis on Paul's apostolic credentials are significant. Um, they're important, especially in light of the reason why he's writing the letter. The message that he gave to these people when he started these churches 
the very heart and core of the message has been challenged. And so now Paul's writing to them, and he's letting them know up front, I have, I've got cred. I've got authority. I have a right to correct you. So I think the emphasis on Paul's apostolic credentials is important. Paul has very strong words for these Galatians, and he wants them to understand that he writes to them as one with authority, apostolic authority. Paul wanted the Galatians to take him seriously, and we should as well. He goes on to say, Paul an apostle sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So when Paul refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's stating that he's more than just a messenger. Some people refer to apostles as messengers or as ones who are sent with a message. The, the Greek word used here, apostolos, means messenger or one who's sent with a message. Apple meaning from, stello meaning to send. And so Paul is stating clearly that he's, he's not just a messenger boy, right? He, he's, not, he's not Western Union delivering, you know, the telegram. He's the author of this message, one who has authority. New Testament Greek scholar Kenneth Samuel West said, said it this way. The word apostle, as Paul uses it here, does not merely refer to the, refer to the one who has a message to announce, but to an appointed representative, representative with an official status who is provided with the credentials of his office. Paul wants the Galatians to know from his opening words, unequivocally, that his calling as an apostle was not by a man. It didn't originate with a man. It didn't come to a man at all. I have a problem with titles sometimes. All too often in the church we have apostle this or prophet that or bishop this or like whatever. You know, if you lay empty hands on empty heads, it makes no difference. Okay, you may walk away with a piece of paper and an official title that you could put on your letterhead, but man, if it's not God, it really doesn't matter. If you have to tell somebody you're apostolic, you're not apostolic. If you have to tell somebody. <laughs> that you're prophetic, you're really not prophetic. Right? Actions should speak louder than words. But in Paul's case, it originated with God, it came directly from God. His standing as an apostle was not based upon opinion polls. It wasn't by human counsel. It wasn't, but it was based upon a divine call. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. A divine call made through Father and Son. The Father who raised Christ from the dead, he's telling us. Now that's some serious authority and some very real power. Concerning this point, the great reformer Martin Luther wrote, he said, when I was a young man, I thought Paul was making too much of his call. I did not understand his purpose. I did not then realize the importance of the ministry. We exalt our calling not to gain glory among men, or money, or satisfaction, or favor. That's the part about it that bugs me today. <laughs> Where people are doing it to, to gain glory, or favor among men, or money, or some sense of personal satisfaction. 
We exalt our calling not to gain glory, Martin Luther writes, among men, or money, or satisfaction, or favor, but because we need to be assured that the words we speak are the words of God. This is no sinful pride. This is a holy pride. I think Martin Luther gets it right about Paul here. And he finishes verse 2 with the words, and all the brothers and sisters with me. Paul is writing this letter, and to his greeting, he adds that this is from the friends who are with him as well. I think it was a matter of courtesy. Verses 3 to 5. He write, he, this is, he's telling us who he's writing to. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this letter is clearly addressed to the Galatian churches. It's not written to a single church in a single city. The letter is addressed to the churches of Galatia, because Galatia was a region, not a city, and there were several churches among the cities of Galatia. And Paul opens up with a famous greeting, with a, a typical greeting for him in his writing, uh, writings. In his, this could be called his apostolic greeting. Peace, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very familiar. And from it he's drawing upon the traditional greetings of both Greek and Jews. Greeks would, would offer grace, Jews would offer peace. Peace was their greeting, shalom would be their greeting. Paul uses this exact phrase, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses it six other times in the New Testament. Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2, Ephesians 1.2, Philippians 1.2, Philemon 1.3. And of course here in Galatia, this was his, this was his way. This was how he started his letters, and we find it here as well. I found it interesting to note in my study that Paul uses the word grace 100 times in his writings. All the other New Testament writers combined only use it 55 times. Paul is truly an apostle of grace. In verse 4, he says, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In 23 brief words, Paul states the heart of the gospel message. Jesus gave. Just like his father gave his only begotten son, Jesus gave. He gave himself. He gave the highest, the best, the most precious of all gifts ever given. And he gave them for our sins. He gave himself for our sins to, to cure us from the cancer of sin that was killing us. And he did it to rescue us. He did, he did it to rescue us from this cancer of sin. Jesus did not come to rescue us from the wrath of the Father. He didn't come to rescue us from an angry dad, an angry judge, an angry God. He came to rescue us from this present evil age. Listen to me, get this. This is important. Jesus didn't come to change the Father's mind about us. He came to change our mind about the Father. He did not 
come to change the Father's mind about you and me. The Father was never disillusioned. He was, he was never in error. He made no mistake in His understanding and judgment of us. He loved us perfectly and always. He came that we would understand the Father better. Up until this point, the, world, the only world that the Hebrews had was, was an Old Covenant, an Old Testament picture of the Father. And it wasn't always a pretty picture. Then Jesus comes as the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus perfectly, in the flesh, in the incarnation, He came to perfectly represent the image of the Father. And in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus, more than any other point in the Gospels, paints us a picture of what the Heavenly Father is like. We would all love to have a father, like the father in the story of the prodigal son. That's our Heavenly Father. Jesus came to change our minds because we didn't know God. We thought we did, but we saw Him through some distorted lenses. And even to this day, there are people who, still, who are still blinded by the truth of God's love and His mercy and His grace. It's one of the passions I have to open those people's eyes to that truth. The Father didn't need His mind changed about us. Jesus didn't have to die for us so the Father could see us differently. He saw us perfectly. What Jesus did, he did for your sake and for my sake. That our blind eyes would be open. That we could see God as he truly is. And forever put away the image of the angry father or the angry judge. But rather see one who's filled with love and mercy. The scripture tells us that our God is rich in mercy. And sadly, most of us are not raised with that image of God the Father. Maybe we put Jesus in that box. But that's not how we've seen the Father. Rich in mercy, that's what the scripture tells us about. Him. That he loves us with a great and lavish love is what John said. It's good news. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to change the Father's mind about us, but to change our minds about the Father. And he did all of this in unison with the Father and the Spirit, according to the will of God the Father, is what he says. And verse 5 ends up with, to, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel, my friends, is good news. I want you to know that it's very good news. And Paul opens this profound letter with that very good news. Now his hard-hitting challenges will begin in the very next verse, at verse 6. And we're going to take a closer look at that next week. So could I have Colin and Angie come back up? Let's pray. Oh God. Lord, I pray that you would do what it says in your word. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, and through the reality of your word, that we would know the truth and that it would set us free. That we would no longer, oh God, look at you through distorted lenses of performance-based Christianity, rules and regulations and traditions of religion, but that we'd see you for who you are. And Lord, even now, as we begin this journey into Galatians, I ask that you come by the power of your spirit, and Lord, that you would just 
sever. Sever the ties. This is the picture I see in my mind's eye. Like a puppet with strings. And that's what religion is. It controls us. Look, cut the strings. Cut away all the strings. That we would be free to live with you and for you in the, in the delight of your love for us. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would inspire this journey into Galatians and let it be life-giving for all of us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So I asked for some words of knowledge earlier. Does anybody have heard anything from the Lord that you'd like to share?